Well, through the miracle of technology, not only am I not wearing a mask because this is recorded separately from our uh, singing and worship earlier, but uh, I'm in two places now because we will be in wor- we're in worship at St. Matthew Sanctuary right now. Uh, for those of you who are watching this online, we're recording this early uh, so that our, our first Sunday back in a while will be a little bit simpler to do. So we're recording this a few days before our service together. So I'm excited at this moment to be worshiping with my, my family here at St. Matthew's in the sanctuary and worshiping with you online now as well. So thanks for being with us today. Today we're going to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be reading through and preaching upon these saints of the Old Testament uh, that we see in Hebrews. We, we read earlier today, we read Hebrews 11 uh, through the story of Cain and Abel. So we're going to, in this moment, take a moment and go deeper into Genesis 4, 1 through 10, and read more about the story of Cain and Abel, uh, particularly Abel. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that just one second. But uh, the, the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, where the word says this. Now the man knew his wife, Eve, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very able, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We in our household, we watch um, America's Got Talent a fair amount. You may be familiar with that TV show. It's a, it's a show that kind of the, one of those shows that the name kind of describes what it is. America's Got Talent. It's basically a national and international talent search. Uh, all kind of acts. It's, it's kind of like the voice or American Idol in that there are musicians, but it's bigger than that because they have a lot of other acts as well. They have danger acts where people will shoot arrows at themselves or other people. They have dancers. They have comedians. But my favorite act of every America's Got Talent act are magicians. Love me some magicians. If, if my family's watching it and a magician comes on, and if I'm not in the room or I'm off doing something else, they'll pause it or yell at me, Daddy, come here. It's a magician. Love mag- magicians. Magicians are the best. I've always loved magicians, but I think the older I get, the more I like them. Um, and I've learned a lot about watching them. And I, there's another show I like that I don't remember the name of, but it's, it's got Penn and Teller, the two magicians. And what I like about that show is they try to, they'll watch an act and they'll try to guess how the magician did it, you know, and, the, and the, the, the goal of this act is to fool, of this show rather, is to fool Penn and Teller and to pull off your act and, and them not be able to guess how you did it. So I love, I love watching the magicians and trying to figure out how they can do it. But so I, I don't, I'm not a magician. I wish that I could do some magic tricks for you right now. I can pull my thumb off. That's all I got. Got no, ma- no major tricks, but I do love watching that. Now I, I've learned some stuff in watching magicians. The one thing I've learned 
is never pay attention to, the, to, the, to the, the hand over here or the flashy thing that's trying to pull your attention away. They're going to always do something flashy off to the side that your eyes can be drawn to immediately. And don't let your eye go there. Because what they're banking on is when they do this over here, your eyes are going to go there. You're going to see that. You're going to pay attention to that. And then you're going to miss the actual thing that they're doing. So don't ever pay attention when you're watching a magician or trying to figure out how they're doing it. Don't ever pay attention to whatever's flashed you over here on the sides. That's what they want you to do. But if you do that, you're going to miss what's actually happening. As I read Cain and Abel this week getting ready for the sermon, and by the way, I would encourage you, if you're not doing it, to, to take part in our Rooted in Christ uh, daily devotional readings because you know how when you were in school and you'd have math problems and you'd answer, basically you'd answer the question, but then the teacher would always want you to turn in your work so they could see the work you've done? Basically, Rooted in Christ is my work. You're seeing a lot of my sermon prep work as I'm reading and researching and studying the text. So as I was, as I was reading and preparing for the, the message this week, I thought a lot about magic because when you read this text, our eyes are drawn to Cain, aren't they? Cain is the one we pay attention to. In fact, in my Bible, this text, is the, sub, the title of this section is Cain murders Abel. Cain is the person we're drawn to. Cain is the one over here, flashy, we're looking at. Cain is the one we see commit the first act of murder. We wonder about Cain's offering. If we, were, if we were to continue reading the story of Cain and Abel throughout the rest of Genesis 4, there's all the other questions that Cain's life leads us to ask. Cain is the flash over here off to the sides that we see, that we look at. But if we're going to be honest about the text really aren't the point, really aren't what we're supposed to be paying attention to and supposed to be looking at. Because when we see, particularly in light of Hebrews 11, when we look in light of Hebrews 11, we see that Abel is the one that we should actually focus on, not Cain. Abel is the one who is the hero of the faith, not Cain. Cain is the, is the negative example, if you will, but he's not the one we should be studying Cain's not the one we should be paying the most attention to. We should be fixing our eyes and fixing our attention on Abel. This text is kind of like that magic trick. We're tempted to look at the wrong thing. So we're going to talk the rest of this morning about Abel and what we can learn from Abel's life. My late friend and mentor, Sam Morris, always talked about Scripture in this way. If the Bible says anything in the Bible is there to pay attention to it, don't ignore what Scripture says. If it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. But if it's mentioned twice or three times in the text, that's a really big deal. And so I thought about that when I read about Abel's offering. Because the question about Cain and Abel is why did God regard Abel's offering and not Cain's. What was, about it? what was it about that? And so I thought about Sam's teachings whenever I read the story. Because notice what it says here about, uh, let, let's read the offerings and, and notice what it says. Because we're going to get into the Hebrew about this in just one second. But it says this, it says, this is verse 3. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. 
Okay. Um, you would have probably burned the fat. You would have offered up the fat portions anyway, but it mentions it. See, it, for Abel, it says two things. First, it says he brought the firstlings, the firstborn. The firstborn is a huge deal in Scripture. Um, we think, see it in the plagues of Egypt, the firstborn. We see originally when you read in the, in the story of the Exodus, God was going to claim the firstborn of every family as a priest, but instead took the Levites as an entire tribe. There's something huge in Scripture about the firstborn. Your firstborn might be your onlyborn. If you give the Lord your firstborn, you might not have a secondborn or a thirdborn or a fourthborn. To give over the firstborn is to give in faith because you're going to assume that God's taking care of you. So it says that he gave the firstborn, gave, gave his firstborn, the first, the first one of his flock gave the firstlings, the firstborn. But then it says it gave their fat portions. So not only did he give the first animals that were born of his flock as a sacrifice, but he gave the very best of those, of those, uh, of those flocks. So he gave the firstborn, the most precious, the most important, the most valuable. But then he gave the fat portions of the firstborn. He gave the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. He literally gave the very best that he had as an act of worship to God. He gave all that he could give, the most valuable, the most precious, the best he could give. That's Abel. But let's look at Cain. And here's the issue thing about Cain. Let's look at Cain's offering. It says for Cain, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Here's the thing, y'all. Particularly when we look at this passage here in the original Hebrew, Cain did nothing wrong. Like this offering is not bad. Like, like This is not a bad offering. In fact, if you look throughout the Old Testament, you're going to find this offering that Cain gave for many of the offerings that the Israelites are instructed to give throughout Scripture, they were actually instructed to give exactly what Cain did. Cain's offering is a perfectly typical, perfectly fine offering. It didn't say he gave the worst of his crop. It didn't say that he didn't mean it. He gave a perfectly suitable and perfectly fine Offering. As I said, when you get to Leviticus, you're going to see that Cain's offering is a typical offering that's quite often given to God. So why did God accept Cain's offering? I mean, accept Abel's offering, but not accept Cain's. Like I said, this is where you look, look in the actual Hebrew, and it's very interesting. When, when you read there, you see a sharp distinction between the word, between the two offerings. In, in the NRSV, um, it says this. It says, uh, Cain brought a, an offering of the fruit of the ground. It says, and for Abel and his party brought the firstlings. That and could actually also be translated as a but. Um, Cain did this, but Abel did this. When you read it in that context, what you're seeing here is that you see that Cain discharged and fulfilled his duty. He did what was expected. He did the, not even the bare minimum of what was expected. He just did what he was supposed to do. 
Job well done. Cain did exactly what he was supposed to do. But Abel, Abel didn't do what was expected of him. Abel did so much more. Abel went above. Cain was worried about fulfilling a duty to God. Abel was worried about worshiping and glorifying God with all that he was. One was seeking to do their duty. One, the other, was seeking to joyfully obey and joyfully worship, worship God the Father. So that's what's going on here. One is going through the rote motions of religious life. And one is laying down all they have before God and saying, here am I, Lord, take me. Take the first, take my firstborn flock. Take the fat portions of my firstborn. Take all that I have, all that I could want to give you, all that I desire to give you. Take it all. Take everything that I could give you. Take it. So you have one discharging duty, one worshiping. And why was Abel able to do this? Why is Abel an icon of faith in Hebrews 11? Because here's why. Abel's eyes were not on the duty before him. Abel's eyes were not on the approval of other people. Abel's eyes were not on the things he was worried about. But Abel's eyes were squarely and totally fixed upon God. Pleasing God, being in relationship with God was all that Abel desired. And so when God, so God was the only thing he was worried about and God was the only thing that he was looking at. And because of that, he was able to joyfully worship and joyfully obey God, able to give God the completeness of all that he was because his eyes were completely and totally upon God. Cain was worried about the other things. Cain was just trying to do his duty. Abel was trying to glorify God. And what happened to Abel? He was murdered for it. You know, that's, that's, that's the punchline or the bad part of this, if you will. He did the right thing and he suffered. But here's, I think, why Abel is an icon of the faith in Hebrews 11 and why his story matters. Abel was so radically focused upon Jesus, so radically focused upon God, And here's what happens when you focus radically upon God in all things. Your possessions are not that big a deal. And your sufferings are not that big a deal. Because both are temporary. Both are temporary. Our possessions are temporary. So Abel could give his first of his flock. He could give his firstlings because this flock is temporary. There'll be other flocks. There'll be other moments. These possessions don't define me. These possessions are not mine. These possessions are God's. 
They belong to God, and I will give back to God what he deserves. So when my eyes are radically fixed upon God, I see that my possessions do not define me, that my possessions are temporary, and that I can lay all my possessions, all my stuff, all of my wealth, all that I own, I can lay this at the foot of God because it isn't mine anyway. It's simply something temporary that I've been made a steward of, but it does not define me, and it is not all that I am. It is a temporary thing in my life, so I can give God my complete offering in abundance because these possessions do not define me. These possessions are temporary. When I fix my eyes upon God, my possessions are temporary. But likewise, when I fix my eyes upon God, my sufferings are temporary. The pain of this moment, the hurt of this moment, the stress of this moment, the worry of this moment, the real tragedy of this moment, my sufferings are temporary as well. Because the Bible tells us what is our present suffering when compared to the glory of God. Whenever I fix my eyes upon God, when I fix my eyes upon Jesus, I see that the suffering of this moment, the pain of this moment, the worry of this moment, the doubt of this moment, the fear of this moment, all of these things of this moment are temporary when compared to the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord. Abel is an icon of faith. Abel is an example of faith. Because by fixing his eyes completely and totally upon God, by making him the point and the purpose, he came to see that his possessions were just temporary. And his sufferings were temporary. But God is eternal. Faith is eternal. And that must be our focus. And that must be our purpose. And that must be our point. Our stuff is temporary. Our suffering is temporary. God is eternal. Abel withheld nothing from God. The fat portions of his firstlings. He gave all that he had to God. And God received his worship as a grand and glorious thing. You know, offerings, as we're right now, we're uh, in this unique season we're in. We're actually on Sunday morning going to have two, two times of offerings. It's kind of funny. We're going to have our um, uh, offertory moment in the service where we invite those of you who are watching online to give online um, through our website or to write a check and mail it out to church to put it in the mail tomorrow. But we'll have a momentary, we'll have a moment of offering with our offertory music in service for those who are watching online. But we'll also have a time of offering at the very end of the service for those who are in person to get to place their offering in the collection plate outside 
following the service. So we're having two offerings right now. And we associate offerings with money primarily, the possessions. And that, that's true. Our possessions matter. Our tithes and our offerings, they definitely do matter. But I want to offer God all that I am. Faith is coming to a cliff and jumping off. And knowing that God will either catch you or will give you wings to fly. It's terrifying. It's scary. And we don't want to do it. But faith takes complete and total trust of God. And that's why it takes faith to please God. Because it's complete and total trust. So there's not a part of me that I want to withhold from God. I want to be like Abel. And I want to have my faith in God so centered in my eyes and so focused in my heart and so determined in my life that there's not a moment, there's not anything within me that I want to withhold from God. My possessions, my stuff, anything that I want him to have all of me. And until he has all of me, until he has all of my heart and all of my life and all of my will and all of my stuff and everything that is me, he doesn't have me yet. And I want to day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, second by second, glance by glance, Give myself completely and totally over to my Savior. Because Abel understood that only by giving to God all that he was, all of his possessions, all that he was, could he truly know the depth of God's love. And friends, that's what I desire above all else. That's my prayer for you. That there's not an ounce of our very lives that we're withholding from God. Abel gave in joyful abundance and obedience and worship to God. And because of that, he saw the glory of his father. He understood that his possessions and his suffering were both temporary. But the glory of God is forever. In a world that's temporary, in a world that's fleeting and fading, may we keep our eyes upon that which matters the most. And may we live fully and completely in God's power. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for Abel and his example of faith even now, God, help us to live in his assurance, his power, in your grace now, God. As Abel had assurance and grace, God, we know you give the same to us. Help us to live in your assurance and power and faith always. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.